So who are you? What are you about? This is the questions that we're considering here with this new series called Renewed Identity. You see, because whenever you're a child, I mean, I'm talking probably eight, nine years old, you begin to form an identity. You begin trying to figure out, well, who am I? And so we look at other people, and we begin to come up with our own conclusions, and, and we start making observations. Well, I'm, I'm the smart one, because teachers tend to like me. I'm kind of a teacher's pet. So then we think, oh, I'm the smart one. Or you think, oh, I'm the dumb one because I'm getting C's and D's on my math homework. Or you think, oh, no, I'm the pretty one. I'm the popular one. I'm the athletic one. I'm the overweight one. Oh, I'm the skinny one. We, we call all of these different definitions, and, and we begin to form our identity. And by the way, it doesn't stop when we're children. Like, well into adulthood, this is still a, a real part of how we see ourselves. And so you have the upper middle class might think, oh, well, who am I? Well, I drive a BMW, and I live in this zip code, and I have a five-bedroom house. And, and so I, this, these realities and this income and this job, they define who I am. And then the middle class or the, or the working class, I should say, will say things like, I'm no sissy, I drive a truck. They say, and I work hard for a living. And I live in a reasonable house. And so we're all, well, really, there's pride on all sides, all around. There's this grasping, there's this trying to define who we are by comparing ourselves to other people and trying to form our identity, and those of us that are married and have kids, oh, we're, we're so good at this. Where we say, well, my child can read chapter books at three. I'm like, well, mine doesn't even know his colors yet. And, and then you start to freak out as a parent, like, oh, I'm a horrible parent. And it's like, he's three. It's Okay. And yet we form this identity of I'm super mom. And, and then like that like fuels something inside of us. And we feel, I don't know, valuable, important, worth loving. And, and we, we have all of this, these facades that we put up. And, and really at its root, all of these ways that we try to find our identity, it's idolatrous. That's what it boils down to. It's saying, I'm going to define myself in these ways apart from God. And so we're talking this series now about having a renewed identity. Having an identity that is not attached to trying to improve yourself or look better or impress people. Because honestly, that is just exhausting. Trying to maintain these appearances and trying to impress people. Like, I don't know about you, but if you're on, on, on that treadmill, I hope today you will get off. Because when, when someone finds their identity and who they are in Christ, here's what happens. This exhausting quest to define who we are and prove our worth and prove our importance and trying to impress people, that exhausting journey comes to a merciful end. 
where we're no longer out trying to live for the applause of other people. And so today we begin this series by asking the question, who are you? I could also ask, what are you about? What are you known for? Because I'm sure if we ask your closest friends or family on what, what is he or she known for? What are they about? Ask your kids. I'm sure they can tell you. And if they answer something like cell phones or scrolling, then that's not necessarily a good thing that you want to be known for or be about. But unfortunately, sometimes our behavior betrays us. And so what are we actually about? I want to read to you in Colossians chapter 2. And as you turn there, what we're going to be studying here this morning, Colossians 2 verses 6 through 15 It defines our identity of who we are and how that impacts our lives. The primary truth from this text is that Jesus defines what your life is about by defining who you are. So hear me. So Jesus defines what your life is about by defining who you are. Colossians 2 verses 6 and 7. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And then we'll stop there and we'll read more in just a minute. So even verses 6 and 7 here in the beginning of this chapter, we see the first half of this is that Jesus defines what your life is about. There are three little words at the end of chapter 6 that define what our lives ought to be all about, what we should be known for. May it be said of you and me who know and love Jesus. So it says, what is he about? May it be these last three words in verse 6, walk in him. May we walk in him. That is what our life ought to be marked by. And there's a reason why. Because you have received, it says, Christ Jesus as your Lord, as your master. Because you've given your life to him, you belong to him, you're a child of God. This defines who you are. Therefore, now the verse says, walk in him. This phrase walking, it doesn't mean physically just walking. It's talking about your whole life. It's talking about your thoughts. It's talking about how you spend your money, how you spend your time, how you do your job, how you're a parent, how you're a spouse, how you're a child. Everything, how you do your ministry, how you serve, how you spend your money, what you do on vacation, how much YouTube you ingest, and what you ingest on YouTube. Anything and everything about how you live your life is summarized with three words. Walk in him. How you go about your business day in, day out. We walk in him. And then he elaborates in verse 7. He says, rooted. He says, rooted in Jesus. So this walking in him where our whole lives are focused on Jesus is, says your roots, so your desires 
are rooted deeply in Jesus. And then it says, built in him. And so we then build our lives on Jesus. And so if you're noticing something here in these verses, it's framing what our lives ought to be about, and it's all about Jesus. Our lives have been built on him, and so you could ask it the reverse of that, which is, what are you building with your life? Ought to be built on Jesus, as we see in verse 7. But if, if we did an honest assessment on, well, what are we building with this thing called life? What would it be? See, these verses here, verse 6 and 7, are getting to the root of what we're actually about. Not what we pretend to be about, but what we're actually about. See, all of us have struggles, and this is describing our behavior. Walking, this is very active. All of us have our struggles. So you know what haunts you, whether it's desiring someone who is not your spouse, or whether it's how you filed your taxes a few months ago, or whether it's how you spend your time, or whether it's spiritual laziness or apathy, or any number of things. I don't know. You know. And God's Spirit can reveal to you what your sin struggles are, because all of us have struggles. And we're told here to walk in Jesus. See, this is so important for us, because it's so easy for all of us to look like good Christians, especially on a Sunday morning, especially with a church plant. You're like, man, I am a super Christian. Like, I I get an A+. I'm part of a church plant. I mean, I have to rough it in elementary, or I'm sorry, a, a middle school. And I have to come early and help set up. And it's still raw and new. And so, I mean, God must be so impressed with me because I'm part of the church plan. And it's so easy for us to create these religious checklists and know what it looks like for us to look good. And, And we get really good at it in just in keeping up the appearances. But every now and then, we get exposed. It would be like me if, if I would put on a really cool like chef's hat and then an apron and I got this cool like butcher knife and then I went into a kitchen and I looked like a chef. Like I totally looked the part until what happens? I have to actually cook until they bring the meat and I have to cut it. And I'm like, ooh, I don't even know how to slice it. Because I'm not a chef. I don't know how to do it. I can pose until it's time to actually do something, and then I get exposed. Or, or even better, if I wore a, a, a tool belt with all these tools that I couldn't even name that, that were on, on my belt, and I look like a handyman, maybe not shave really well and just be scraggly, and then, and then look like a handyman until I have to actually fix something, and then I can't fix it. Just like last week when... When I had a drain in my, in my bathroom that was clogged, and I thought, I can fix this. I got this. And so I foolishly, my first mistake was looking underneath the sink. I should have just not even looked under there. But I tried. And before long, there was water everywhere. <laughs> it was like, and my wife is so kind. Bonnie's so sweet. She goes and gets all these towels, and I'm like, 
I'll call the plumber. <laughs> it's like, I don't even know why I try. It's not me. I know who I am. And I'm not a handyman, but I can fake it. I can try to pose. But in, in life, crisis has a way of exposing us. And, and, and we can try to pretend and look like a good Christian on a Sunday morning and, and just kind of fake it. But the reality is that who you are, your actual character will eventually be revealed. And so it's not about maintaining, you know, this public fake posing perception. It's about being real before our God and about who we are. All of us need a restored soul. We've named this new church Renewal for a reason. We're desperate for the freedom and the renewal that only God can bring. Every one of us here and thousands more here in Bell County are desperate for God's restoration, for his healing, for his freedom, for his renewal. And it begins here with us. We need it. And how do we get it? Walk in him. Verse 6. You walk in him. You walk in the spirit. You hear his voice. You enjoy his presence. Hey, we live in a fast-paced world, right? Or is it just me? Right? It's fast-paced. And yet we have to make time to be quiet and to just slow down and to hear his voice, and to spend time in God's presence quietly. Hurry and this constant being rushed just robs us of having a restored soul and giving the Spirit the space that's necessary to reveal who we are so that we can run to him and experience his freedom. We walk in him. That is what our lives ought to be about. Colossians 2 does not say, work harder. It does not say, be a better Christian. Colossians 2 does not say, impress everyone with your awesomeness. It doesn't say that. It says, walk in him. Walk in Jesus. You enjoy him. Walk in him. And his spirit will begin to do his work. And he will give you that freedom and he will heal you, and he will change your life, but it will be real, not fake. Real purpose, real joy. Verse 8, as we continue in this text, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So he's continuing the same same vein here, he says that the evil spirits of this world will put doubts in your mind. And so Satan is going to attack you, and he's going to cause you to doubt. And he's going to lie to you and say things like, Jesus isn't worth it. Jesus is not able to free you from this. You're never going to change. You're hopeless. 
Just stop trying to even fight it. Stop pretending that you can change or be different. Stop thinking that God can actually use you. You're done. You're a mess. Just forget it. See, these are, these are the lies that the enemy brings, saying Jesus is not satisfying. Don't bother with prayer. Don't bother with reading the word. Don't bother with getting up early on a Sunday and coming to help with setup. No, no, you don't, you don't need to trouble yourself with that. Just go back to bed. You're good. These are, these are the lies that the enemy tells us. And he says, you don't need Jesus. You've got this. You've got this. And then we get taken captive by the enemy. And then we notice over time our lives are so off course and we're like, well, how did I get over here? Well, not overnight. It, it was a slow drift of not walking in him. And, and then we're far away. And then the question, well, what are you known for? Well, Jesus defines what our lives ought to be known for, what our lives should look like, what we should be about, which is walking in Jesus. This is what our lives, so everything that we do ought to be marked by walking in Jesus. But then he also describes our actual definition. So Jesus defines who we are. And so Jesus, Jesus shows us what our lives ought to be about, but by defining who we actually are. Verse 9. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Let me read that again. It's just one verse. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. That is an amazing verse. Now, I've been accused of many things in my life, lots of things, but I've never had anyone ever say to me, now, Matthew, you're such a concise person. You're so brief in all of your thoughts and comments. I've never, I've never had anyone say that to me. Um, but verse 9 is concise. It's brief. It's amazing. You, you realize that this one verse, verse 9, summarizes all of Christology. Like it summarizes all of who Jesus is. In these few words, he says, Jesus is fully God and he is fully human. And he says it in just like a few words. It's amazing. This is describing who Jesus is. Fully God and yet fully human. And he is the center of everything because he created it all for his glory. And he defines who we actually are. And so what you see in these next verses, verses 10 through 15, is the heart of the gospel. So this is the heart of who God is and a reclaiming of who God's made you to be, which is his image bearer who reflects his glory. Verses 10 through 15 are amazing. These verses are meant to be like wave after wave of God's grace and mercy that crashes over you. If you think today, okay, a minute ago you were talking about getting drifting and being so far away from God. If that's you today, then these verses are for you. It's absolute mercy. God doesn't give up on us. He loves us and brings us back home. Verses 10 through 15. 
and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh of the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Amen. That's the gospel. It's defining who we are. Let's break this down for a few moments. Verse 10 says you're filled in him. And so your identity is defined by having the spirit of God literally filling you in you. Verse 11 says in him you were circumcised without hands. So this is spiritual circumcision. And so your old self has been cut off and cut away. Your old rebellious self is gone. And now you've been made new with a new heart, new desires. With his spirit, you're made new in Jesus. Verse 12, you're buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him. And so baptism is a picture of what's happened to you spiritually, where you were dead and you've been resurrected in Christ. You've been made alive in Christ, which verse 13 says, so God made you alive together with him. So you're no longer dead spiritually. You are alive and you no longer have this boredom towards Jesus and spiritual things because you're alive. And Jesus makes your heart beat fast. And you love him. And he's your joy. He's your everything. And then verse 14 describes how this is all possible by canceling the record of debt that stood against you with its legal demands. Picture God the judge wearing his robe in the cosmic courtroom and you are on trial. And in front of him is the record of debt with its legal demands. This is a record of all of your sins, every single thought, word, or action that is not holy. Every single one is is right there, and the judge has in front of him, and it's the evidence, and you and I know very well that this judge should take his holy gavel, and he should convict us. We're guilty. That should be the sentence, but it says, this good judge set it aside. You think, well, how is that possible? How could a good judge maintain the law and actually be a good judge? Because a good judge does not set aside a convict. A good judge convicts the criminal. And yet, it says that this holy judge set it aside. And he held it up to his son. And he nailed it through the hands of Jesus onto the cross. This is the gospel. This 
defines you and me. This is who we are. So it says that we're forgiven. How he canceled our debt. How he set it aside. How he nailed it to the cross. This is what we see in this beautiful legal sequence. The gospel in Colossians 2. And then verse 15 culminates with the results of this. That all evil, Satan, is defeated and put to open shame because Christ has triumphed over Satan and we are victors in him. So his victory is now our victory. So Jesus defines what we're about by defining who we are. What is your life about? Walk in Jesus. Who are you? You are in Jesus. Colossians 2 describes that we are defined by being in Christ. We're in him. It is amazing how many times you see that phrase in him in these verses. Whenever we go outside of Christ to define who we are at its root, which mentions earlier, it's idolatry. It's trying to say, well, I want to define myself and my life when I'm about this way and through this means or through this person and what it is. It's saying, God, I don't want you to define me. I want to define myself, my life, my way. But that doesn't work. I read this awesome quote by an author named Kenneth Boa, and he says, we cannot consistently behave in ways that are different from what we believe about ourselves. Did you catch that? We cannot consistently behave in ways that are different from what we believe about ourselves. So the point is that we live out, we behave, we live consistent with who we believe we are. So if you believe that you are a failure, if you believe that, And if you believe that you are worthless, if you believe that in heart of hearts, if you believe that, then that's going to impact how you treat other people. It's going to impact how you want others to treat you, how you expect to be treated, how you go about your life, how you approach your job, how you approach your relationships is all going to be impacted by those beliefs. If you say, I am an addict, I am depressed, if you say to yourself, I am an anxious person, if you say, I am lazy, I am bitter, you realize that what you're saying is that your person equals, and then you mentioned that, I am depressed, as though you are analogous, as though those are equal, and who you are and being depressed are equal, and so you're saying that your totality of who you are is a depressed person. Person, but is that true? The answer from God's word is a resounding no. We saw in verse 8 don't agree with Satan. Don't you dare agree with him about what he says about you and who you are. You are not who you say you are. You are not who Satan says you are. You are who God says you are. 
You believe the truth of the gospel as revealed in his word. And this is life. This is freedom. We are not defined by our struggles. We are not defined by our failures. We're defined by Jesus. We're in him. Verses 10 through 15 says you are in Christ. It says you walk in him. You are rooted in him. You are built up in him. You are filled in him, circumcised in him, raised with him, made alive together with him, triumph over the enemy in him. Are you getting the theme here? In Christ. This is who you are. You are in Jesus, where God's Holy Spirit and your human spirit are interwoven together. How can I begin to explain that to you? It's a mystery. But it's in the Bible. And so as you read earlier in verse 7, rooted and built up in faith. We have faith. We trust God. We believe what he says. We are not defined by our fears or our failures or our shame. We are defined by who we are in Christ. And so come and taste the goodness of the presence of God. Are you depressed today? Do you feel maybe crushed under the weight of depression. That may be true of you. It may be true of fear or guilt or anxiety or or any, any other struggle, but let me tell you something. You are not depressed. You are a child of God, redeemed, indwelt by his spirit, made alive, forgiven, made new. That's who you are. Yes, you may struggle with depression. I'm not denying or belittling that. You may struggle with it, but it does not define you. You are a victor in Christ because of who is in you. The enemy has been defeated, and Christ has triumphed over him and set him to shame. And so we do not look in the mirror and say, oh, you are blank. You are depressed. You are a failure. You look in the mirror, you say, you are forgiven You are redeemed, and you are deeply loved by your Father in heaven. You are chosen. You are not forsaken. I am who you say I am. We don't just sing these truths. We believe them. And we let them sink in deep. And when the enemy comes and he attacks, because he will, and when you fall, when you feel so ashamed, when you think there's just no way, ah, I've just done too much. I'm, I'm just too far out there. You have to know that your father loves you. And you are not too far for his mercy to reach and bring back home. Walk in him. This defines what we do and who we are. But what strikes me as odd sometimes 
This is just interesting to me, but what's odd is that sometimes we think that we have the option. We're told, walk in Jesus and live out this identity, and we think to ourselves, no, I don't actually have to do that. I, I, I can choose not to live out my identity and not walk in Jesus. We're not given a choice here. This is a reclaiming of who God has made you to be with the renewed identity. This is who you are. And so if you are not actively serving your church and serving the world, you're not actively walking in Jesus, you're not living your identity. You're not living who God has actually fundamentally made you to be. God sees you, and he loves you. He sees every brokenness, every struggle, every sin. He sees and he knows And you think, maybe you're thinking, okay, what if I fall again? What if I believe you? What if I put my faith in Jesus, I trust in him, and that he won't forsake me, that he will love me, that Jesus did pay for me like we just read? But what if if I keep falling? What if I fall again? God's still there. He's still there. God is still there. And he's saying, son, daughter, this is who you are. This is why I sent Jesus for you. Because I knew you would fall again. Let's just feel him reach down and just pick you up. And hold you. And say, come on. We have amazing things to do. We have my glory to display for your joy. And just dust you off and love you and hold your hand. And once again, walk with him. This is who you are. We are a gospel-defined and a gospel-shaped people. Will you walk in the identity that God has given?